not only their actions, especially their dialogue, because a dialogue is when they're actually going to be interacting in a way that the reader feels it with another character. This is Taylor Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of the kick-ass Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, and this is the Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. Taylor, you know, we did this introduction earlier, and it was fantastic. I'm just telling everybody out there listening, we did a fantastic introduction earlier. I am back home, surrounded by my things and my microphone, and I'm, I'm so happy to be doing a podcast with Taylor the old-fashioned way. And we got halfway through the intro, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I forgot to put up my echo muffling thing. So we had to stop, and this is the new intro. So I'm sorry you didn't get the, the great, really good intro, but I'm really happy to be back. He's got electricity. His positivity paid off. I know what it's like to be away from home like that. I'm so happy you, you are back. Yes, it wound up being, I think it was the 12th day. We got back. And so, yes, it is great. There are still people down here that don't have power, amazingly enough. Um, So still feeling pretty fortunate that that things are as good as they are and really happy to be back doing this show today. And the topic of this particular episode is how to avoid boring dialogue. Not the kind of boring dialogue that we have when we're talking about hurricanes and things like that, but boring (laughs) dialogue in your fiction. (laughs) So that so that's the topic. Taylor, do we have any chit chat beyond I'm really happy to be home? Oh, Steve, you know, we could fill hours just talking the way that we normally do, but I don't think that's why people <laughs> show. <laughs> All right. And Taylor and I have not had a chance to even like talk, catch up in seemingly seems like weeks. So we're gonna do all that after this, hopefully. But we want to get this show in. And so let's go to the fancy music that introduces the topic. So boring dialogue. Um, I think that every person, every reader is going to have their own particular pet peeves in terms of what they see as boring dialogue. For me as a writer, my pet peeves come more from reading raw material, um, those who are still getting the hang of it. And one thing I see pretty consistently is what I call unnecessary dialogue. And unnecessary dialogue is, by inference, boring. And unnecessary dialogue would be something along the lines of two characters meet up and the first one's like, hey, how's it going? The other one's, I'm fine. How's your day? Oh, things are going great. I just stopped by because I wanted to ask you la, 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 la. And those are sort of like the pleasantries that we use in our everyday speech. It's filler. It's politeness. It's social, social constructs that sort of grease the wheels of polite society. But they're not necessary, necessarily in, uh, in fiction. They, they become transitions, where you're trying to move a character from one, transition a character from one thing into the next. And reading it in dialogue is does not at all have the same pleasantry as it does in real life. All it does is take up space, it slows down the pace of the story, 
And but sometimes you can't you you have to put something there. You can't just go. He launched right into a conversation. Sometimes it's hard to know where to start. And so for me, the solution is to to not have it as dialogue. So instead of you know a guy coming up and hey, how's your day or whatever, my version of it is he asked her how her day was and waited for an you know waited an appropriate long time listening to her response and inserted himself into a pause and boom, there's your dialogue and it starts there. And so it keeps out the cheesy stuff by doing it that way. So that's one of my big beefs and what I would consider boring dialogue. Okay, and, and using your example, um, and I, I can think of a, a contrary thing and, and a series that I've read that I really enjoyed, uh, the Archie McNally series from Lawrence Sanders. There's a lot of that kind of boring dialogue, but it's done, I think, for the purpose of setting the characters and the type of people that they are, the overly polite, overly, um, I don't know, overly sophisticated type people. And, and they're able, the author is able to get that across in some of this boring dialogue where you can just sort of pigeonhole the, the character. Is that, is that a useful technique? Well, yes, that's a little bit different because in that case, dialogue is serving a purpose and it, it take. It, I mean, I haven't read that specifically, so I'm just going based off of what you're conveying to me. It could be that it is boring. I don't. I don't know. And if it, but if it serves a purpose, and it's it's setting something up where the reader feels invested in it, then it's not boring. Anytime it just goes on, and the reader's like, "Oh, yawn," you know, let's get this over mm-hmm. with, and they just kind of start skimming, then you've wasted your opportunity. You've wasted the words. It's just filler. And the less filler you have, the more immersive that story is going to be. So if, if it serves a purpose, great. If it doesn't, get rid of it. Okay. All right. Let's talk about different types of, maybe boring is the wrong word, but ineffective dialogue. Okay. Um, what, one thing that comes to mind and, and something that I see, I won't say a lot, but it, it, it's one of my pet, fee, pet peeves, is when the dialogue is too formal, as, is, as though one person is writing a note to the other person and that note is going to be graded by an English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a copy editor has been through it and uh, the author didn't nix it. Yes. That happens sometimes, too. And you read it, and you, you just say to yourself, no one talks like that. There may actually be people that talk like that, but you just think to yourself, no one actually talks like that. So if if that's the kind of thing that that we as authors find ourselves writing, how do we break that habit? Well, when you frame the question like that, I'm left going, uh, because, you know, now I'm supposed to instruct somebody how to break a habit. Um, I think it really has to do with a sense of being relaxed, you know, ease up, relax a little bit here. And I I think we've spoken about it before uh, of reading the dialogue out loud. Um, one of the easiest ways to loosen up the dialogue is to start contracting everything that can be contracted. Um, taking that immediately takes out a lot of formality and another to that vein something else we've mentioned before as well is you don't have to put every single word it doesn't have to be grammatically correct so in 
in writing, you would say, have you been to the reservoir lately? And in re more relaxed dialogue, you would cut out the have you, and you say, been to the reservoir lately? That type of stuff can, can really relax dialogue as well and keep it uh, punchy and flowing. Now, you have, every so often you'll, you'll make a comment about the copy editor, editor changing dialogue. And I, I do a lot of work with, with some other things that I'm doing with readers, just readers, not professionals, but readers who read books and offer suggestions on you know typos and things like that. And they will oftentimes find something that is exactly like what you were saying, like been to the, and then they'll, they'll want, they'll throw in as a suggested change, have you been to the? And I, I think that's just human nature. When you read something, if you're not really immersed in what it is, it, it seems a little bit odd. But if you're really immersed in the story, it just kind of flows through as dialogue. So what, what do you think when you get that kind of thing, and maybe that's a little extreme for the copy editors that you're dealing with, but what do you think to yourself when you get that kind of thing back from a copy editor? Do you seriously consider making the change, or do you just say no? Well, first of all, I have to say that copy editors are doing their job. Like Their job is to make things grammatically correct. And so a lot of times copy editors will put that stuff in there, not because they necessarily think it has to be there, but because it's their job to put it there. So my, my punctuation is notoriously bad, being that I never went through school to learn it. So when they do punctuation changes, nine times out of 10, I don't even, I don't even mess with it. Like sometimes they'll punctuate in a way that changes the intention of the words, but that's pretty rare. So that's one thing. But when it comes to actual word usage and word recommendations and removing words or inserting words, I go over that with a fine tooth comb because the words are the only thing that I have any control of in this process. The words are mine. And when somebody reads the finished product, they don't stop and think, oh, that Taylor, she had a really strict copy editor or she had a, <laughs> you know, bad proofreaders or whatever. They're like, what the bleep is wrong with this author that she can't formulate, you know, smooth dialogue or whatever. So it's going to be on me. So I do go over those that very carefully. And I often just set out copy editor word changes in terms of like that type of thing. Now, if it's a a true grammatical issue, if it's the word is not being used properly, if they, they often do sometimes rearrange a sentence so that it's grammatical, but it also grammatically makes it sound better. I'm like, okay, mm -hmm. that works too. Okay. But yeah, um, when it comes to dialogue, that's when I'm particularly picky about any changes because correct and cadence are not always the same thing. And when you get your copy edits back, is it like what we would normally, the, the rest of us get, it's just a document with like a word document with track changes on and, and you see them and you accept them or reject them? Uh, it can be that way or it can be on paper. I always prefer them on paper. Really? I, it's much easier for me to do it on paper, but more and more they don't want it. They want it digital. So, you know, sometimes you just have to go with it, but I feel that I have a better sense of the, 
just in the same way that we have a better concept of time overall by reading an analog clock than we do at looking at a digital clock, it's the same thing with words for me. All right, and I'm not going to ask you where you got that tidbit of information. <laughs> I read a lot. <laughs> Brain science. I like to think, and don't laugh, or if you do laugh, I'm going to cut it out. So I like <laughs> to think laughing? that some of my dialogue is pretty good, and some of it is not. Some of it is unsurprising, clunky, um, like beating people over the head with a hammer kind of <laughs> kind of. Now, see, there you're laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you gave such awesome imagery, Steve. <laughs> How do we avoid that type of thing? How do we maybe in a second or third draft correct the things that we might become sight blind to as we're, as we're reading? Those kinds of like obvious, boring dialogue kind of things that no two people would ever sell, say to one another or no person asking questions would ever ask of another person uh, without getting slapped, maybe. And You and I both know what you're thinking about here. Maybe you should, like... I can't think of a specific example because there are, like, a hundred of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give, I'll give one. Okay. Um, and this is when I was going over... Um, it was, I'd say it was a rough of one of your Reggie stories. And... Reggie was trying to get information from people, and he would just ask these direct questions. Who was this that did this? Were you here at that time? And he's asking these questions of people who maybe weren't the most willing um, to, to give him the answers. And I would be... You know, the first couple of times I was like, come on, no, this this is not going to work. This is too direct. And by the, you know, the 200th time I was like, no more direct questions. <laughs> and and I think that that actually gives a really good example for the answer I'm about to give because it's not going to be a fun answer. And I think that a lot of times fixing these problems isn't a matter of writing. It's a matter of psychology and empathy and understanding people. Which is not to say that Steve doesn't understand people. It's that converting psychology and empathy and understanding people to the characters on the page. And in the case of these direct questions, it's my understanding, just the way, because you know, I know Steve and everything, they were almost like placeholders for Steve. They were, they were. Oh no, they Steve weren't. Was trying. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> let, let let me let me walk you out of this one here. It was like he needed to know the answer. Steve needed to know that answer, and so he put the question in there directly, knowing that this is going to come up. The character needs to know this answer, and so it was something that needed answering. But he didn't work the psychology of what would a character in this position, speaking to a character in that position, how would he finagle? How would he present himself in order to create a willingness in the other person to give him that information? And so in my notes, I kept going, direct questions, that's the fastest way to shut somebody down. You, you can't do that. that no, no 
person who understands another per who understands the psychology of crawling into another person's brain is going to walk right up to somebody and say, tell me why this happened. You know, there's a little schmoozing, there's a little flattery, there's a little, you know, mutual respect, even, you know, there might even be some veiled threats or intimidation or bribery or what have you. But the direct question is the fastest way to shut something down. And so that's like a very extreme example of this answer is the, the easiest way to eliminate awkward, bulky, you know, all those different problems that we have in our dialogue is understanding the characters and understanding the way those, those characters would feed it. What would that type of character, that would that type of person, how would that, you know, gang member react to someone who just walks in off the street asking questions in real life? And so having that in mind, you've already got to prep your character to deal with that situation. And when you do that, the dialogue tends to flow from that in a less clunky, less awkward, less ham-handed sort of way. And I'm not even going to edit out all those terrible things that you just said. But <laughs> I'm saying that about you. I'm saying that in general. <laughs> um, when you're writing your first drafts, are you actually thinking about this? Are you putting yourself in the mind of each character as you're doing the as you're as you're writing the dialogue, or does that come later? Always, from the very beginning, character is everything. Because even though the plot in the, in my type of of writing, the plot does drive the characters. My my job is to make it look other way around. So I'm creating characters, knowing the story that they're going into, that they can adapt to it. And so from the very beginning, I've already sort of understood the essence of who these characters are. Now, sometimes it takes a couple drafts for me to get it right. Sometimes I will bang my head against the keyboard for for hours on a single few sentence exchange because the proper emotion, the proper tension is not being conveyed. And I will go over it and over it trying to get it right. And when it's right, it works and it flows. But from the very beginning, that character, who the character is, how they would react to this situation is at the, the core of every word that gets laid down on the page. This is something that for me, and maybe it's just me, maybe it's not for anyone else that's out there listening, but maybe it is for someone else that's out there listening as well. We have these things where you just, you know how it should be and you just don't get it. But when you were explaining how normal people interact. I was thinking back to two nights ago when I was out walking the neighborhood before the power came on and I came across two guys sitting at a table um, making notes and drinking water and they work for the power company and I thought to myself I really want to know if they know anything about what's when we're going to get the power and the last thing I would ever have done is to go say hey dudes when's the power going to be on? Right? So instead, what I said was, wow, you guys must be working some long hours. And they told me how, yes, they're working these long hours. And, you know, we just chatted back and forth. I never asked them when the power was going to be on. And they said, do you have power after a while? And I said, no, not yet. 
And they said, where do you live? And I pointed, and he says, you'll have it in 20 minutes. And so then your explanation and me being able to wrap my my mind around something that had just happened finally (laughs) flipped the switch in my mind where I understand (laughs) what you're talking about with all these little notes that um, it just – I can read it in other people's things, and I see, okay, I see how they do it. But it's just like I have blinders on when it comes to this one little thing, and it, it's like it literally drives me crazy because I keep coming across this in your notes, and it's like I don't know how to fix this. I don't know how to fix this. <laughs> and so there's um, there's one thing you just what you were in what you were just saying. It, it kind of boiled it down to a key concept, and so I'm going to ask you what do you think it was besides not wanting them to tell you to go f off that kept you from asking that question directly? And what was it that caused you to, you know, look at it from their point of view and say, wow, you guys, empathy. There you go. I know where, as soon as you said empathy, I'm like, I'm a very empathetic person. Why can't I get this? And then I, I thought of that and I'm, you know, as I when I saw those guys, I just walked around some more before I walked up to them, and I was trying to think what it's got to be like for them. It's just got to be hell being down well, that's here. What it's, your char- it's that's hot. what your characters yeah. need to do. Yep. Okay. That's that's that and that that really is it's the crux. It's it's the the essence of of so much. Not only their actions, especially their dialogue, because the dialogue is when they're actually going to be interacting in a way that the reader feels it with another character. Okay. Now I just have to have time to go in and fix all these scenes now while all this stuff is fresh in my mind. And <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> and I can remember it. All right. Um, that, that, that is our show for today. And I did not intend for it to become a let's solve Steve's problem, but you did solve my problem. So I'm pretty happy shows, about this. Steve. And hopefully we solved a lot of us, you know, problems for some other people as well. So thank you for that. Yeah. You're welcome. Just to put it in like, you know, Twitter length here. When a character is interacting with another character, question mark, empathy. I got to work that into the title somehow. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we have a call to action? Don't put it on me. Well, um, you know, we do need material. Right now we're fixing Steve's problems and we haven't, Maybe because we've been so effective on this show, Steve, nobody else has any more writing problems. Why am I the only one that has writing problems? Or it could be because you're writing. Uh, <laughs> that could be. <laughs> so we, we do need material. If you want to hear something more specific to you that you feel will be helpful, if you're tired about hearing about Steve's writing problems, then help us out here. Send us something to work with. We need your questions. We need your material. Um, and we can line up some shows on that. And if there, if you're in the same position that I am, where there's just something to do with writing that you just, yeah, you're having a hard time wrapping your, your mind around it. And this has been something that's been kind of troubling me for a long time now, the, the whole on-the-nose dialogue thing. Um, let us know, because Taylor can apply her knowledge and wisdom in, in the same way that she did to me to help you with your writing. So... This great show, at least for me. I hope you guys enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being with us, guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs>